Welcome to the Optimal Human Podcast. This is episode five. <laughs> and I'm Coach K. Who are you? And I'm Coach P. <laughs> all right, guys. We're here to set the record straight in all things fitness, nutrition, and health. And today, what are we talking about? Talking about all about social jet lag and circadian misalignment, Coach K. And mobile tech. Mobile tech. Why it's bad for you at night. Stay tuned. We got a good one ahead. Delina. All right. Well, this is the perfect podcast to start today because I haven't really been doing well in my sleep, Kyle. Why haven't you been doing well in your sleep? This has just been a rough week, but you know, a lot of people will usually, that'll be the most common excuse that people will make when it comes to sleep. I have so much going on. I've got... <laughs> we have dogs in here, guys, and they're, they're very interested in the conversation. This would be a perfect time to introduce the dogs to the rest of our listeners, wouldn't you say? Uh, yes. Yeah, so we have 50 who's laying on my foot. Uh, you may have heard Lady sneezing. Uh, those are our two pit bulls. Uh, and when I say our, I don't mean Chris and ours. I mean uh, myself <laughs> oh my and my wife, Let's who's also that. in the room, who's eating, not really eating her dinner right now. She's supposed to be on um, bodybuilding prep, but she's not doing what she's supposed she's not to. not wanting to eat. And then uh, we have Layla, our, our boxer. So those are the dogs. And then we removed the birds because they're way <laughs> too loud. And that would be way too much. Still can't um, believe But anyway, birds. so... Uh, you guys don't care. Um, <laughs> so anyway, you were talking about sleep, right? We we're going to be talking about sleep. and So just to reiterate you guys, we did talk about sleep once before. Uh, but now we're going to bring it more into focus now and talk, start talking about social jet lag and circadian disruption. And usually it's all caused by this big thing, Kyle. What am I holding up in the air? A uh, cell phone. A cell phone. Now, before we even get into that, sleep, as we've already established, is one of our three pillars of health. All right, we have exercise or activity, and we have nutrition, and then, of course, the one that everybody kind of forgets about, which is sleep. Which should actually be, in my opinion, biased, but, of course, your most important priority. And, and you know, what? people seem to kind of get exercise or activity sometimes, and then nutrition, they think they understand it and then sleep they just they can't even spell it so i'll tell you something pretty cool um so my my mentor uh dr youngstead at asu uh for my doctorate would actually talk to me about this sometimes where how would you answer this question would it be better to sleep or exercise so let's say you had the presented the opportunity so, to either get a full get a full night's rest or would you exercise which benefits mm, of which would outweigh the other that's a good question some people what do you think Let's well, I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to lean towards sleep because you're like, give me a look. <laughs> uh, you know, I've honestly never looked into that. So I can't, I can't say with any type of certainty. Now I can say that you want to be active and I understand the importance of being active, but I also understand the importance of be, uh, of getting enough sleep. I don't think that we can, it's kind of like, what's more important, nutrition or exercise? Well, they're both really important. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I, I decline to answer. <laughs> I declined to answer. Well, it, back when I had this discussion with my mentor, he actually spoke about this, saying that it might actually be better to sleep. With all the benefits that we have from exercise, including increasing cardiovascular benefits, cognitive benefits, and so on and so forth, there seems to be a much more detrimental impact on all of those things if you're not getting enough sleep. That makes sense. So, which could be further exacerbated if you're trying to exercise in those sleep-deprived conditions that would only push you further into hell. So, an example, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm training for a powerlifting meet and I decide to not sleep, and I'm only in like two, three hours of sleep because, you know, that's what some people believe is, is enough, um, that's not looking good. No, not at all. <laughs> it's better for me to sleep. Yeah, and we know that every aspect of your body is negatively impacted by sleep deprivation. Dr. Matthew Walker actually just spoke about it in a talk where 
it's really apparent, especially during uh, daylight savings time. So whenever we get an hour taken away from our schedules, they see about a 21% increase in the total number of heart attacks that they have around that time of year. Really? Yeah. And then on the other uh, side of that spectrum, when we gain that hour of sleep, when daylight saving time goes away, the risk of the incidence of heart attacks goes down just by an equal amount of that percent. It's incredible. Ridiculous. That is crazy. Same thing with numbers of car crashes that same day too. No kidding. On days that we lose that hour of sleep, car crashes go through the roof. On the days that we get that hour of sleep back, car crashes go down. So in other words, here in Arizona, we, we've got to figure it out. <laughs> well, I think there's a car crash every time you turn around when you're driving. Well, okay. Phoenix. Well, we get in car wrecks, but not because we're sleep deprived from daylight savings. That's for sure. That's for damn certain. <laughs> Um, but that's pretty much the gist. You might be better off getting a great night's sleep compared to exercising. I don't take that as a thing. It's just say, like, oh, I'm going to get eight hours of sleep and never exercise because don't do that either. No, it's like, you know, saying you're going to exercise and sleep, but then eat a bunch of garbage. So <laughs> you have to do all three pillars if you want that, you know, that, that, that foundation or that ceiling or whatever, whatever you want to add to this analogy. If you want that to work, you kind of got to do all three. You can't just half asset. Remember we, we talked about, you know, 66%. Yeah, that'll get you a D, but that doesn't get you a diploma. 100%. <laughs> oh, that Diplo- that diploma doesn't pass in Kyle? It doesn't. Guess what? It, it 2.0, 2.0, 2.5, or if you're in grad school, 3, 3, 5, you know. Whatever. And I honestly hate when our students will say, but that's passing. But yeah, how much did you actually take away from the course? Anything at all? Yeah, if if, if you get a D, you can't say that you got it. A lot from the course. Not saying you didn't have hardships and all that wonderful stuff, but you probably didn't learn much. No, not whatsoever. But, uh, but bringing it back into sleep focus now. Sleep. So we know that sleep is good, but what's even more important with the nitty-gritty we're going to talk about today is when it comes to the actual alignment of your sleep. And what I mean by that is the timing per day. Kyle, what kind of society are we live in right now? This is the weekend, right? It's a crappy one. When do you oh. normally go to bed? <laughs> let's say, let, let's, um, let's, when do you wake up in the morning and when do you normally go to bed? Well, see, you know, I'm a perfect example of how sometimes I, I screw this up because there are days I have to wake up at four so I can get to work by five. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I come home, I want to go to bed. And then somebody <laughs> tells the woman to go to bed. Kyle, don't go to sleep yet. Let's stay up and watch TV. I haven't seen the third episode of Stranger Things yet. <laughs> we haven't even watched Stranger Things. So no? No, we haven't. Neither have I. <laughs> but I've heard it's a thing. It is a thing. And it's strange. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, so so we live in a society where we, we don't necessarily follow a sleep schedule. Uh, you know, we, we, we're drilling in, you know, the whole exercise schedule. We're kind of getting to the nutrition aspect of things, even though people don't really seem to understand how to do that either. And then sleep, you know, like I was saying, we completely forget. So we might stay up till 11 at night and then, you know, get up at four or like, oh man, I got to, I got to get my work down or I got to get my assignments in. And then you stay up to three in the morning, you know, five in the morning. Um, and then you take a nap and then you get up and go to work and you go do your normal stuff. And then what do we really do to fix that? Okay, we, we have a get this get this close to the microphone. We have a, a guest speaker here. Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his six <laughs> rules of success says sleep faster, <laughs> I would suggest. That is you know true. what's freaking funny? I just listened to that talk it's this morning before talk. I came into work. Some people say I need to need to sleep six hours, seven hours, nine hours. And you know what? Sleep Dr. Faster, Matthew Walker actually has a response for that because he talks about it in his most recent TED talk, Sleep Perfect. is your superpower. Uh, so for all of you out there who are listening to me right now, go on to YouTube, type in Matthew Walker, Sleep is Your Superpower. It's his most recent TED Talk. And he actually says when you hear these success coaches and these entrepreneurs and these 
uh, really big famous actors say things like sleep faster or get by off six hours of sleep. It's actually the worst advice they could ever give you. Because the accumulation over time is going to be much worse than just you know spending an extra hour or two. Exactly. And my, my best friend actually put it into great perspective for me. He's like, well, think of this. You have more hours in the day to do work, but how many of those hours are actually productive? He's like, when you get a Perfect. good night's rest, you're going to be more productive with your time because you're more alert. You're more well rested. You have a higher state, less daytime sleepiness throughout the day. Dang. And I, I know, I know both of us. There, there have been times where we've both been really tired, and we have things to do, and we just, we just don't really want to do it. By the way, the voice that you heard just a few moments ago, that would be the Jessica, um, also my wife. So she's over here now. She's eating, which is good, uh, but she did have some input, and you'll probably hear her voice a couple times in future podcasts. Um, also, not, not with us today is. Sean Pruce and Sean he'll be Pruce. he'll be joining us on, on a few episodes as well. So he will be a regular. We'll have we'll have regulars coming in and then you know some guests and whatever. But anyway, back to sleep. Back to sleep. So what we really want to focus on is now the misalignment. So when I originally asked Kyle what time to go to bed at night and what time oh, to wake up and in I the didn't morning, it. his well, but you kind of did. Oh, it's I kind of did. All over the place. And <laughs> whatever your requirements for that day, whatever your schedule is, whenever you teach class, whenever you have to go to the gym, or whenever you have to train clients, etc come home tired, your sleep schedule is a little erratic and it's not quite consistent. And what happens is, is we live in a society where the majority of people have around a ballpark time that they go to bed and around a ballpark time they wake up every morning for their work schedule. Now where the issue comes in is what we do when we get to the weekend. So mm. when we get to the weekend, what do you tend to do, Kyle? Well, me, I, I tend to sleep normally, like like we should. Yeah, I go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time. I'm, I'm always up. No later than six. I probably drives Jessica nuts at times, but uh, I just I, that's just what I do. You know? But what do you think our average listener does, or what our exactly. average person does in the social? How about now? this? What did college Kyle do? Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> um, well, I got off work on one job, went to the other job at the bar, and stayed up to about two. Right, um, definitely not consuming alcohol, um, which we talked about not consuming alcohol before sleep in our in our first sleep episode. And then uh, you know maybe we went to after hours or whatever. So we we party, right? That's that's what our society is. We party. We we stay out late. We we you know we go enjoy friends. We have this social life, which is great, but. There's a big sacrifice you're making when you push your body out of alignment when it comes to your circadian rhythms. So it, in a very simple way to define this, this is known as what is called social jet lag, which is coined from the difference between our biological clock and our social clock. So during the work week, we have a set time and schedule where we normally wake up and go to bed. But then the weekend comes along. We want to be social. We want to be out with our friends. We want to stay up late. And so we end up staying up past that time. Friday and Saturday night, we usually sleep in. And as a result of that, it's going to shift our clock by a number of hours. And as a result, what happens is this is why Mondays, for lack of a better word, suck. Because by that time, you pushed your clock out of alignment by approximately three to four hours on average, depending upon how late you're staying up, how late you're sleeping in. And then by the time you wake up on Monday, your clock is actually not yet caught up to you. Where you need to wake up at five, your clock might actually be one o'clock in the morning where you still need to be asleep in order to function properly. And that's why you feel so sluggish on Monday and say, this is absolute hell. So, so I have uh, two comments on this. Uh, one, has anybody tried to tell Garfield this? <laughs> I don't remember yeah. the last time I read that comic. That's good stuff. Anyway, uh, on top of that, basically what, what we're saying is that um, your body gets used to what you do during the week. 
And then you just throw it through a loop, you know, this, this haywire chaos for two days, and then you go back to it. So your body wants to adapt to whatever you do right? in the most general sense. So if you wake up at this time and you go to bed at this time, five days a week, your body gets used to that. Just like if, you know, some of you are out there experimenting uh, with intermittent fasting. You know, I can't, I can't wait till one to eat or two to eat or whatever the, the time frame is for you. Uh, because guess what? Your body is used to eating at a certain time. And then if all of a sudden you throw that clock off, you're like, man, I'm starving, man, I'm starving. Or if you eat, uh, you know, during a time that you're not, you're not normally eating, you, you feel full, you feel kind of sluggish. It's the same exact thing with sleep. If you get, if you, you know, create this schedule of sleep and then you throw it off on the weekend and then you try to go back to the normal schedule, you, your body doesn't really know what to do. You're just going back and forth, back and forth. Yep. hundred percent. Um, and as a result of that, Monday being the suckiest day of the week, it takes approximately 24 hours to shift your body one hour. So if you want to catch That's up and insane. get back to normal, it's going to take approximately Wednesday or Thursday by the time you actually truly feel good again. But then what happens? Thursday, Friday, <laughs> and Saturday is the hot tsi time to get right back into screwing it up and going back to your social life. Hot And then it just becomes this phrase. constant, chronic cycle of hell where you're constantly pushing your clock in, pushing your clock out. And here's the main issue with this is every hour of social jet lag that you have increases your risk of, of uh, cardiovascular risk by 13%. I'm sorry. I'm, what are you I, laughing at? I'm laughing because you're like the cycle of hell. And then my mind goes to uh, Full Metal Jacket as a movie. You've Full seen it? Metal Jacket. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> I am in a world of shit. <laughs> but that's how you feel when you're sleep deprived. That's absolutely true. Um, um, hopefully you don't go out the way that now, Private Pile does. Now also, for our, let's, let's define for our audiences, social jet lag is not the same thing as sleep deprivation. Sleep deprivation is Thank actually you. a side effect or a result of this social jet lag. So Perfect. because you're out of alignment and you're behaving this way, it results in the chronic sleep deprivation. So like when you look at the actual risk on the human body, we know for sure that sleep deprivation wreaks havoc on every aspect of your physiology. Social jet lag, independently of that, also presents its own risks, which might be influencing the increases in diabetes, the increases in obesity rates that we're seeing across the nation and the increase in cardiovascular risk. Which those are some of the top killers in the United States. So, yeah. um, and do we have any stats on like how many people are sleep deprived or, or, or experiencing sleep deprivation or that are um, really part of the social jet log is issue? I don't know the number off the top of my head, but the national, the, the CDC did come back and say it's about 25% of adults attain less than the recommended amount of sleep, at least 50% of the time, which is a great deal of people. Um, I would need to look into the census again from the National Sleep Foundation that says what those rates actually are. Um, but that increase, go, that, that risk actually goes up if you own a mobile phone. And this is the great segue into how I'm going to was, talk about the use of mobile technology. I was a oh, man. I had a I had a good transition that too. Jordan, big back and switch. See, I was <laughs> see we ball hog over here. I was going to talk about how uh, how other ways that we are social in this world, and then we were going to bring up mobile. But you know, you already we're already there. We'll man. go into it then. All right, okay. mobile. All right, so um, we have mobile devices, right? Everybody. Well, you're probably listening to this on your phone, or you or connected to your car, Bluetooth, listen to it on your phone, whatever. Um, <clears throat> it's somewhere around, uh, what, 77% of adults over 
You know, no, wait, no, it's higher than that, isn't it? Um, um, it, it depends on. No, what no, seventy seven percent of, of, of uh, Americans have smartphones. Yep, including more than ninety percent of adolescents. Ninety percent of adolescents. Now, this this goes into our even bigger issue that you know the the next generation and the next generation we're setting them up for greater failure with this mobile tech because um, and we'll we'll get in the blue light here in probably just a few minutes. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> you know the, the use of your cell phone or the use of technology it could be it doesn't even have to be your cell phone your TV uh, your um, iPad your help me out here laptop. Any Other electronic stuff device that emits that blue light is going to influence your circadian rhythm. It's going to influence your sleep, which is, well, like we just said, not good. Not at all. Uh, and the way for the, to clarify why it's such a big deal is blue light is the same wavelength as the sun. So you might have heard us in a previous podcast talk about something called a zeitgeber. Now, that's a crazy word to understand. The best, easiest way Made to say up. it is anything that influences your your circadian rhythm. So that's anything such as light, which tends to be the most powerful, body temperature, and food seems to have the biggest impact on your overall circadian clock. So when we bring in light throughout the morning, so human beings are diurnal creatures, which means we're supposed to be awake during the day Mm -hmm. and asleep at night. We have approximately a 24 to 25 hour cycle. We wake up in the morning and it's usually arising with the sun. Getting that natural light in the morning is great for us because it helps advance our clock and help keep it regular. The more bright, natural light you get earlier on in the day helps set up your clock to do what it needs to do at night to help get you to sleep. Now, here's the caveat to that. The opposite is also true. If you're getting that same light at night, it delays your clock and thus is going to delay all the processes that come with it that help get you ready to go to sleep. That includes the decrease, the rising in body temperature get to a critical point to where it can start to come down. And then it also will push the release of melatonin, which I'm going to let Coach K talk more about melatonin here in just a second. So when you are taking in that blue light from any electronic device that you own, cell phone, laptop, television, you're delaying your clock and making yourself what most sleep scientists call later. And then it's going to take you longer to fall asleep later on. So you mentioned melatonin and and I've heard people mention this before, um, various places, you know, well, you know, I'm kind of sleep deprived. I stayed out late. Uh, I'm going to take some melatonin before I go to bed. I still got dogs. Dog's upset over here listening to us talk. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take some melatonin before I you know, go to bed so I can get some good night rest and then wake up at six in the morning and be really productive. Um, it doesn't really work that way. That's not what melatonin does. Uh, as I believe Dr. Walker would say, <clears throat> that uh, he described it as melatonin is kind of like the, the shot or the gun that goes off at the beginning of a race. It's not actually racing for you, but it's kind of like the signal of like, all right, cool, let's go to bed. Um, so you don't actually get better sleep. It might, you might take it and you might notice that, Hey, look, um, now I'm going to go to bed, but it doesn't necessarily make your circadian rhythm or your your clock or reset your clock at all. Where it has been shown beneficial is if we're talking about actual jet lag, not social jet lag, but if you, if you're flying from Phoenix and you're going to London and you need to reset your clock and just kind of push that, that time or that release of melatonin around, uh, it can really be, um, of use there. They've even uh, used it before in teams uh, who are traveling to play in certain sporting oh, events. Perfect. Because they've even found that if you're, uh, what was it? If you're an East Coast team, 
that's traveling to the West, they'll usually perform okay. But when it's uh, the West Coast team that's going to the East, or I think that's the way it goes, they usually will have decrements in performance is usually what's seen. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because their clock because of the clocks are, are different. Um, I may have had that backwards, but either way, traveling affects you. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we're going with that one. Um, so yeah, j- just like we were saying, that you know, a lot of people have this mobile tech. A lot of people have you know cell phones, us included, obviously. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the use of it at night, especially you know close to your bedtime, that you're you're really kind of just you're, you're telling that the. The, the gun, if you will, to to stop firing or you're telling melatonin to, you know, let's hold off for a little bit because um, I'm still getting some light. It's still light out. Um, you know, essentially your brain and maybe this is a bad analogy or a good analogy. You're, you're a sleep guy, but your brain's interpreting is like, hey, look, it's daylight. So let's do some stuff. Exactly. 100 um, percent. That's that's exactly what it'll do. And right. yeah, so, so that's going to influence, you know, how many times are you able to go sleep in bright sunlight? Yep. Now, something that's really cool that a lot of people don't know uh, is that the more natural light you get during the day can potentially offset the negative impact of using electronics at night. So to put this in perspective for you, they did a study where they took a whole bunch of farmers and farmers get a lot of natural light during the day. And they compared them to another group of individuals who worked inside of cubicles all day long in enclosed shelters with no exposure to natural light. Well, they've made both groups use technology later on in the evening. What do you think happened? Well, the people who got more sunlight were able to sleep better. Correct. The farmers, even though they used the same amount of, they they used electronics the same amount of time as individuals who worked in cubicles all day, because the farmers got so much more natural light, there was a greater contrast in the amount of natural light they received towards against the amount of artificial light they received in the evening. And because there was a greater contrast, it was still enough to flip the switch into Mm -hmm. the off mode to go to bed, if that makes sense. And Dr. Matthew Walker actually talks about this, how it's not that we're getting so much light in our society. It's that we are a darkness deprived society and we need that darkness to help stimulate those processes to say, okay, it's time to wind down now. Absolutely. So just as powerful as light is, as is darkness. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. I mean, I, I, I mean, I can recall this just uh, you know, going back to my college days, right? When I was not following a good sleep schedule, uh, you know, having the blackout curtains and having it really yep. cold in the room and just, you know, putting those on like I could easily go to sleep. Yeah. Easily go to sleep. 100% every time. Now, why is this all bad besides not getting enough sleep? Well, if you're not getting enough sleep, it's going to negatively impact many aspects of your health. So in this particular talk, we want to specifically talk about what happens circadian rhythm-wise. So we know that sleep deprivation has a negative impact on your every part of your physiology, cardiovascular, endocrine, uh, your, your metabolism. Mm-hmm. But specifically, we want to talk about the timing throughout the day. And this is why we like to talk a lot about circadian rhythms. We'll talk about time-restricted feeding a little bit here uh, because certain times in your circadian rhythm, there's optimal times to do things. So for instance, during usually in the morning, most people are not as cognitively sound as they are during the day. Uh, Most people are more primed for athletic performance later in the afternoon due to that spike uh, or that peak in body temperature later in the day. Uh, But there's also an opportune time to... uh, digest nutrients is actually during the day and not at night. So I'll tell you a study that they did, and this is going to lead into adolescence, where I'm going to have you take away, um, where they looked at the pancreas at night, okay? 
and they were measuring the amount of insulin that it released when someone ingests a high sugary type of food later at night. What they actually found was, is when you eat stuff like that during the day, not that big of a deal, okay? For a normal healthy person, they're able to digest that food, they're able to handle that amount of glucose, not the biggest deal in the world. But what happens at night is the pancreas actually isn't at an opportune time of its metabolism cycle. It has its own circadian rhythm mm -hmm. and thus does not release as much insulin from the pancreas during the night as it does during the day to counter that amount of spike of glucose that occurs in the bloodstream. As a result, you can probably predict what's going to happen, right, Kyle? Well, absolutely. What's going to happen over time. If, if nope. let's say, an adolescent Sorry. does that all the time, staying up late. Diabetes, obesity. Insulin resistance. More more cardiovascular disease. Yep. More, more, you know, potential cause for cancers. Basically, health goes out the window. Yep. And just look at the rates of obesity right now. Sure, adults are definitely high at risk, but so are our children. Well, and if you're overweight or obese as a child, you're you're significantly you know more likely to stay obese and overweight as an adult. So if we get a bunch, you know, well, we do. We have a bunch of kids who are obese and or overweight and that are sedentary and they're, they're practicing bad sleep habits and bad nutrition habits and bad activity habits, and that's going to carry on over into you know whenever they're adults. And then you know if they haven't learned how to be a healthy human being, you know. We teach our kids, right? That, that's what we do. We teach our kids so, and we learn from our parents. So they're going to teach their kids the same habits that they have. And then we're going into this chronic like spiral of these generations that have poor health. Yep, 100%. And what's even worse is, I mean, look at the typical life of an adolescent. What do they go through in high school? What did you go through in high school? Oh, I was a jock. So uh, <laughs> nothing, you know, <laughs> lifted weights, bunch of girls. <laughs> Not Actually, even. Uh, um, I was like the quiet jock. Like I wasn't like the one that went to the parties and whatnot. But I, what you're getting at is like the the, the teasing and the uh, the bullying and things like that uh, piled on top of you know all the potential medical ailments that they may already have or be developing. Yep. And, and you know that's not just physiological. It could be the psychological aspect of things from the bullying, and then of course you know not getting enough sleep, poor nutrition, poor exercise, depression, so on and so forth. Yep. Uh, and when you look at the typical clock, biological clock of, uh, of adolescents, they actually have later clocks. And what I mean by later clocks is they naturally shift towards nighttime to where they will wake up later in the morning and they'll be, they won't fall asleep until later at night. It's, it's pretty normal for an adolescent. However, our social times and school requirements don't allow for that. And they actually, no. a lot of the time school starts really early in the morning when most children's clocks are not actually ready to go just yet. Um, and as a big result of this, you know, in it being in high school, growing pains, you know, all this psychological stuff going on, development, puberty, uh, we're, we're in a point now where we also realize that sleep has a profound impact on your psychological well-being. Absolutely. And they're finding in children now, uh, especially in the middle school, high school range, rates of depression, loneliness and anxiety is through the roof. Oh, it really is. It really is. It's 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 alarming how prevalent that is in our society, especially when, when you know, when you think about it, like you're a kid, you should be out having fun playing Tonka trucks or, you know, whatever. Um, but we have all these, uh, I mean, almost adult issues that our kids have. And, you know, we're doing it to them. Yeah. I mean, I guess we're not. We don't have kids. But, you know, we we as parents or our generation of parents uh, are really what's kind of 
implementing that. And not not accusing any No, not accusing, sorry. So, but it's not <laughs> It's not uncommon for me to look down the street when we're going to Tempe Marketplace, see a couple parents with their kids, and everyone's on their damn phones. You go to dinner, you go to one of the restaurants, and you see that the, the parents' heads are down on their phones and the children doing the exact same thing. And it's like everyone's hooked to these damn mobile devices. And when you have our adolescents who stay up late on all these things, and I, <laughs> my sister does it all the time. She's up until 1 o'clock in the goddamn morning it, on it, her phone. Sending me Snapchats. And I'm like, no, I'm in bed. <laughs> Go to sleep. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it's sad. And, you know, I think we could probably go on for days and hours and, you know, years about what's really contributing to this and what's causing all of this. And really, I think, in short, the answer is a whole bunch of stuff. Um, it's, it's everybody's, you know, experiences with life. It's all the introduction of, of new things, new inventions that are great, right? I mean, I can do work from my phone. I could fly anywhere and literally do work on the plane on my phone. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But with all these conveniences and all this wonderful technology come a lot of potential side effects if we don't use them correctly. And and I think um, that might be a good point to even bring in some, some of our tips and some of our things that we would want to maybe have our listeners do and, and want us to do and even want our kids to do. So I'll start with the first tip. Uh, and the biggest tip, first of all, that Matthew Walker will say when it comes to fixing sleep in general, circadian rhythm wise, sleep deprivation wise, is to become consistent. That's the most important part. And they've actually found that even if you're not getting enough sleep, being consistent is better than getting enough sleep. Sure. So if, you're can, if your circadian alignment is at least in line, even if you're only getting five to six hours of sleep, that might be a little better than it being erratic all over the place with a crazy schedule. Um, Now, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to recommend shoot for six hours every single day. I'm not going to do that. I'm always going to say get for what's recommended, which is at least seven hours of sleep per day. Seven to nine, right? And that's, yes. So for the age group of middle-aged or young adults in in the 20 age range and up, upwards of later 50s, 60s, 70s, it's it's seven to nine hours, uh, even as you get into later years as well. Um, And that's quality sleep. So rule of thumb, always set your awake time and your sleep time to be at least eight hours. Just try for that consistently every night, even on the weekends. As hard as it is to do with your social clocks, try to do your best. Most sleep doctors will say you can get away with one hour in each direction, plus or minus, and you'll usually be okay. Because then it only takes one day to completely shift your clock back. One hour each direction. Yeah, and you're not really throwing yourself out of it way too much. You won't feel the effects as much as... Let's say you being on a on a uh, going to bed at 10 o'clock and then waking up at 5 a.m. schedule to all of a sudden staying up until two o'clock in the morning and sleeping until 11. That could probably be really detrimental for you. Sure, sure. So that's one tip. Another tip that you could talk about with mobile technology. Mm, uh, Throw them away. No, (laughs) Um, don't do that because it's probably how you're going to listen to this podcast. Um, You know, they have blue light filters. Uh, there's blue light filter settings on your phone. Uh, you can get, you know, if you're watching TV late and you're watching the Stranger, scene, ugh, Stranger Things, the glasses uh, that filter blue light. And I've even seen the blue light filter for computer screens. And I think they sell them for TV screens, depending on how big your TV is. If you want to go through the, the process of putting that on, I don't. Um, but <laughs> you could. I think that's a really good way. I mean, you're still getting light. But the blue light is right in that that sensitivity range of the photoreceptors in your eye. 
Yes, the, the red incandescent glow will not have the same impact as the blue light. Now, they have said that any light does negatively impact your Absolutely. sleep. So even having a night light isn't the best idea. But mm. it's better to have incandescent light in the evening leading up to sleep than having big, bright, white fluorescent lights in your house. So they'll usually go, they'll usually recommend getting those Philip Hue bulbs that you can change mm -hmm. the colors of. Uh, or you try to go by candlelight as often as you possibly can. Or I like to use salt lamps. That's one of the best. Or yeah. simply turn off as many lights as you can in your house and try to make sure that it's more darkness instead of mm -hmm. overwhelming amounts of light. Absolutely. That can be good as well. I mean, th th think about going to Vegas. Right? We were just talking about going to Vegas before this podcast. <laughs> but you go to Vegas, you go in the casino. And I, I remember uh, my brother and a friend of mine, uh, Luke, if you're listening to this, because I told you to listen to this podcast, um, <laughs> we went to Vegas and we stayed on the blackjack table for like seven hours. Wasn't tired. Didn't feel anything like, you know, we were drinking. We were having a good time. We actually didn't lose any money, which is pretty impressive for seven hours in a blackjack table. Uh, we didn't really win a whole hell of a lot. But yeah, we came out on top. The point is I was in there seven hours and it still felt like, you know, about midday. You know, I wasn't, wasn't really tired. I, I was good to go. Um, and that's going to, you know, you have to, Take that into consideration when you're talking about before bed. If you have all the lights on in your house and you're just watching TV, you've got uh, you know Jason Bourne playing in the background or whatever, or the or one of the one of the Marvel movies or Harry Potter, you know, like things you're gonna want to stay up for is light. You're not gonna get tired, and the longer you don't feel tired, if you will, if we're gonna put this in simplicity form, uh, the longer you don't feel tired, the more you're gonna shift your your clock back. And that's going to stunt the melatonin release. But guess what? Society doesn't really care that you stayed up late watching Harry Potter because you have to be at work at 6 a.m. So you just screwed your sleep cycle. Uh, and then another main tip that a lot of sleep doctors will actually say is try to, if you can, eliminate electronic usage one to two hours prior to bed. Yes. Uh, this will do a number of things. A, it'll limit the total electronic usage and take away that light stimulation altogether. And cognitively it won't stimulate you as much because now you're not utilizing electronics. You're not thinking as much. You're starting down an unwinding routine, Yeah, which can be really, really beneficial when you're trying to get a good night's rest. So, so you're not just kind of sitting there and just surfing Instagram and all of a sudden you see a product and you're like, Oh, let me research that a little bit. And then you start reading on some random thing on Wikipedia or you start watching YouTube videos and then you know, you're stimulating your brain. You're not allowing yourself to get ready for bed. Yep. Um, it, it's a, it's a cool down process. Just like you should be doing in your workout. You should have a nice little cool down, uh, you should have a cool down for your day, getting ready to sleep. Yep. And get as much bright light as you can throughout the day as well. That is one of the biggest recommendations I could make. They've actually used bright light lamps that shine up to 20,000 lux for individuals with PTSD. Uh, and they have found that that has helped a lot of veterans really achieve better rates of sleep at night. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. As fantastic. well as help decrease depression. So. Yeah, I mean, be, be out be out in the sun if you can. I mean, a lot of us have office jobs. I, I know you and I were fortunate enough to be able to, you know, hey, look, let's let's go take a couple laps outside the building or something, yep. and and that's okay. And, and maybe you don't have that, but figure out a way to get that sunlight in, whether yep. it's before work, on breaks, even if it's just a ten minute walk. It's something perfect. quick, something to to get that exposure. Yep, and and that's you know. That's good for the light exposure. It's good for the exercise activity exposure. It's going to help you with cognition. It's probably going to help with your productivity rather than, uh, you know, I'm sure we've all had those days where we sit at the desk and we don't actually get up because we're quote unquote busy doing stuff. But really, I'm just looking at Instagram or I'm 
kind of staring like halfway <laughs> at my computer, just wondering when the day is going to be Why am I here? Exactly. Like, oh, I got to grade another 4,000 <laughs> tapers. It, you took the word out of my mouth. <laughs> if someone says the word fallow one more time, I'm going to screw you. <laughs> if I... If I have to look at another assignment like this. Oh, and that's what drives us to look at YouTube and listen to Family Guy stuff. Um, and we're not saying that like anything about our assignments we're grading, but you get in that, you know, you understand. You get sitting down for a while. I was like, all right, I got I got to get up. And, and you should around. be getting up every 15 minutes anyhow. Or is it every half an hour for 15 minutes? Whatever. Get off your ass. Um, I don't know. I heard every hour. Oh, every hour? Move around more. <laughs> Do more things. And now it's time for the rapid fire fitness question. So our first question is, do I need to do abdominal isolation exercises to get abs? So first, I want to mention that, yes, abs are made in the kitchen. But, um, you know, leaning down is great to show them. But if you don't have them to begin with, you're not going to show anything, right? I'm, I'm, if I lean down... And I don't do any biceps exercises. My biceps don't just get huge because now I'm lean. I'm I just a skinny agree. dude with small arms. Yep. But I'm really not, right? Look at me. <laughs> um, anyway, the, 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 the question about do I need to do a bunch of crunches and a bunch of weird abdominal exercises to actually get abs? Because there's a lot of individuals that talk about, oh, I, I don't do abs, but I have, you know, that the, they're ripped out of their minds. So what are they doing? Well, A, genetic makeup for sure is going to influence what your abs look like. Not so everyone's screwed. abdominals are going to look the same. <laughs> However, you can do programming just like any other muscle group in order to make them grow. Absolutely. So, which is why I will never do just straight isolation exercises. I do include larger compound movements in order to help stimulate so the growth of the abs. So it's like if I do a bunch of push-ups, yeah, I'm working my chest, but guess what? My triceps are going to work out too. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, imagine yeah, that. Wow, it's like I need them or something. So perfect example. Look at the elite crossfitters or crossfitters in general. Right? There are some abdominal movements, but there's not a lot. No, they're basically there's, there's a whole toes shit bar, ton of compound the, the, movements. The sit-ups and, and, and you know, there's not much, but it's, it's a lot of compound movements, a lot of high-intensity you know, training. And it's a lot of stuff overhead, right? Yep. It's stuff that makes your core engage. Don't think about, oh, I got to do crunches to engage my core. Why don't you put 100 pounds above your head and do a squat? Yep. Tell me how your abs feel. Well, correct form for that matter. Well, okay, yeah, sorry. That was implied. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to I do want to mention something I think you might be able to comment on. Ooh. I love it when certain bodybuilders that I've talked to, especially pro ones, will be like, well, I don't do deadlifts because they make me too blocky or make my obliques get too large. That's actually false. Do you agree with me on that? A hundred percent. Because I, I remember many times, especially bikini athletes, I got to call them out because I was actually talking to them. She's like, well, I don't do my deadlifts to help my posterior chain grow because it can make my obliques too blocky. That is false. Your obliques get larger because you're genetically predisposed to just having larger obliques. I'm sorry uh, to say. As Sean Proust says, I have a square body. Yes. And that's just the way I that's look. That's the way you are. Some people have smaller, thinner waist because that's what they were given. God given. That's what they got. Exactly. So, so, you know, put, putting a bunch of, you know, weight belts on or something. And I've seen this, like you always wear a weight belt in the gym. And I know there's a social media uh, influencer and what, what <laughs> I won't even mention his name, but he's like, well, I do it. And my, my waist is small. Cool, dude. What? N equals one. So that now it's, it's a freaking, oh, right. uh, it's a freaking. <laughs> <laughs> it's clinical research, bro. Yep. Uh, no, it, you just have a small waist and that, that's fine. Like 
Like, can you do stomach vacuums and maybe strengthen your transverse abdominis? Maybe. Sure. You 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 might have the con- the the conscious ability to make your waist appear smaller. But you're not going to go from a, a blocky physique, right? Even if you're lean, blocky physique to Frank Zane. Correct. You Frank just Zane was just a one in a million types of genetic things you can do. Anomalies. Increase, you know, increase, you know, your back, right? Or, or strengthen your back or, or have hypertrophy in your back and your in your lats and your delts and things like this to make you make you look wider. That will make your waist look smaller. hundred percent. But your waist isn't smaller. And that's an argument that my own coach would make. He's like, get your shoulders bigger to make your waist look smaller. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, how about this? Try your little experiment. Measure your waist to start with, with your blockiness. And then put on your belt and wear it for like 15 months and then measure your waist again. It probably won't change. Probably won't change unless you lost a bunch of weight. But anyway. So to summarize. To summarize. This is not very rapid. <laughs> oh, my waist God. Don't even so, get me started on waist trainers. Now, here, here's the thing with waist trainers that I will say. Um, they do nothing. Well, I don't want to say they do nothing. Because if you are going to. I'm speaking completely hypothetical and theoretical here without any real research to back a waist trainer itself. Mm-hmm. But given if you increase skin temperature, blood flow to the skin increases. We know that. Um, <clears throat> now, if you apply that same logic to increasing skin temperature around your abdominals, you're going to have more skin blood flow. It may travel through adipose tissue or you may get more blood flow to adipose tissue just from the increased heat. And I say may, I'm not saying that you will. And I'm not saying that wearing a waist trainer and and saran wrapping yourself with the the rabbit crap (laughs) is going to make you thin, but I don't, you need a deficit for that. Exactly. Like you still have to have (laughs) the right scenario to utilize the fat and all that. So like it, it, it's kind of like a bunch of what ifs, and even then, if all those what ifs happen, it's theoretical. 100%. So, in summary. But, but you could lose water weight in that area. You could. In summary, train your abs with proper programming. Go on a diet to show your abs. End of story. Exactly. <laughs> Compound movements. Recruit the core. Do isolations if you want. I'd say do both. Are you ready for our second fitness What's our question? What's our fitness slow fire question? From a... Uh, New cutie that I know. What are the ideal macro percentages for trying to keep muscle but lose fat? Macro percentages. So I don't like the I don't like assigning macro percentages because if I say 40% protein, right? And I pulled that one out, that's above the recommendation. Okay. Top recommendation as per the uh, what the Dietetic Association is 35%, if I recall correctly. Or 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. Exactly. That's what I'm going to get to. Like if I do 35% of 1,000 calories or 35% of 3,000 calories, that's a little bit different. A little bit different. I'm going to get a different result. So we go off of the relative recommendation, right? The 0.8 grams per kg is, or, or it comes out to like what, 0.36 grams per pound, something like that. Yeah, um, really low. Per, uh, for a sedentary individual. For, what was it? It was to lose weight or to, to maintain muscle mass while losing weight? No, that was just for the general population. Oh, no, no. I mean the question. Oh, if she's definitely an athletic individual. Okay, so athletic individual, maintain lean mass while losing weight. Definitely lifts at least three to four times per week. Okay. So then, yes, uh, we would want to increase that. And it may end up being 35% of your total caloric value. But what I would say pay attention to is 
somewhere around between two to 2.8 grams per kg, depending on the age of this individual. And in in the older individual would maybe even increase that even more if you're in a caloric deficit. Yes. So So. I think the range is, if we want to get specific here and for all of our brainiacs or individuals who follow the ISSN out there or peer-reviewed journals, most of the research will say in the strength and conditioning world, if you're strength training often, it's upwards of 1.6 to 1.8 grams per kilogram of body weight, which is still not quite one gram per pound of body weight when it comes to protein. Uh, but they've actually shown in studies that even if you overeat on protein when you're in a deficit, it just becomes oxidized and you're just more likely to help maintain that lean muscle mass because that's the most primary macronutrient you want to focus on when you're trying to maintain muscle mass when losing fat. Absolutely. And if you're in, those numbers are usually based on just recovery from just recovering from exercise. Uh, with the ones that two to 2.8 grams per kg is more in caloric deficit, trying to definitely lose weight, but maintain lean mass, which even a caloric deficit, you want to increase the actual amount of protein you are uh, consuming. 100%. Is that all right. for today? I think that's all we have for the day. Let's go right into the uh, into the intro. Oh, we never did a conclusion. Do we want to make this a transition and go into the conclusion of what we talked about today? Well, isn't that that's what we do in the intro? All right. The intro is at the beginning. What are we saying at the end? Thanks for listening. To stay tuned for the next episode. Right? Well, why don't we summarize and then say thanks for listening? Blah blah blah. And then you go into the intro. All right. Perfect. So in summary, we talked about a lot of good stuff today. Coach. A lot of good stuff. A lot of random things too, of course. That's uh, that's kinda, who we are. That's that's what happens. Um, so we <laughs> talked about uh, social debt. Yeah, bleep, yeah, bleep. I think Kyle has a little bit of social jet lag. Apparently. Did you know it actually causes you to flip over your words like that? No kidding. There when I didn't go. get enough sleep in the mornings and I actually catch myself when I would teach at 6 a.m. And I'd be telling my students early in the morning. <laughs> and uh, this is how the oxygen gets. Okay. So in other words, we talked about social jet lag and we talked about mobile tech, right? And sleep. And the overall impact that it has on your health. And in summary... Try to get that good sleep and be as consistent as possible. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we hope that we look forward to having you back for our next one. So stay tuned. Did you say we just hope we look forward to having you back? I think yeah, you did. Yeah, we, we, need we, we definitely look forward to having you back. <laughs> um, we hope you come back. Come back soon. We're talking all about protein. See you guys.